Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Well, I'm going to jump right into uh, to what we're talking about tonight. And um, we, we're starting a new series, a series that I honestly was not planning on doing. Um, I, I had an idea of where I was going to go in a series I was going to start. And as I started to read a passage of scripture we're going to read tonight, and I thought I was going to take it in a completely different direction, I felt like God really just put a stop to it and said, nope, this is what you're supposed to speak on. So I'm starting a few weeks series tonight called Throw In Shade. Turn to your neighbor and say, throw in shade. Throw in shade. And um, maybe you're here and you're like, I have no idea what I just said. I have no idea what that means. Maybe you are chronologically gifted and this just, I might as well just spoke Chinese. The term throwing shade uh, is a term that's really um, talking about you showing disrespect or ridiculing somebody either verbally or non-verbally, maybe with your eyes, with your actions, what you said, but you're, you're disrespecting somebody. And so um, I, I want to do a series on temptation starting tonight. And we're, we're, we're talking about this throwing shade. You know, how many people have experienced uh, a certain time in your life where, where somebody was really just saying some hurtful things? Somebody was acting in a hurtful way and it was really messing you up. And maybe you were fortunate enough to have a level-headed person in your life to say, you know what? Don't let it get to you. That person's miserable and they're just trying to make you miserable. Come on, someone gave me some amazing advice one time. They said, hurt people often hurt people. And, and those are words to live by and to remember because when you have things done to you or said to you, it can be the, such a struggle to forgive the person and to get past it. But if you can have the perspective that oftentimes people who are trying to mess my life up my life up are just upset with how their life is going at the moment. They're just not happy with where they're at in life. And so they are trying to find some sort of peace or satisfaction in getting me down. And oftentimes we'll say, man, that person's just hating or that person's just throwing shade. You know, don't, don't give it a second thought. Just keep going, keep moving forward. Well, my, my hope and desires as we go through this, these next few weeks that as temptation creeps up in our life, you and I will start to realize, all right, I know exactly what the devil's doing right now. The devil is crafty and he is slick and he is smart and he is doing whatever he can do to try to ruin my life. The devil is doing whatever he can do to try to get me to pull away from God, to try to get me to be overcome with shame or guilt or condemnation so that I put separation in between me and God. And so I think that if we can get to the point where we begin to recognize temptation for what it actually truly is, that maybe we would be able to make some better decisions when it presents itself. Anybody like, you know what, this word I think is going to be for me. Anybody bold enough or honest enough to be like, hey, I need to hear this. My hand is the first one up. There's not a single person in this room that doesn't struggle with being tempted. There's not a single person in this room who's exempt from temptation. So tonight we're going to kind of look at how temptation presents itself. How, how the enemy likes to present temptation. Next week, we're going to be looking at how we respond to temptation. And then we're going to close the series out by talking about the, the effect that temptation can have on your life. So I want you to write this down as we, we start tonight, this idea, because I don't want this to catch you by surprise when you struggle with temptation. I want you to write this down. Temptation will try my faith. Temptation will try my faith. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 3. If not, you can follow up right on the screen. 
But I want to show you how even Jesus faced temptation. We're going to start in Matthew 3, verse 16, which we're closing out the chapter with just two verses, and then we're going right into chapter 4. It says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I wonder if you could think about a time in your life where you were recognized publicly, where somebody, you know, maybe stood up on your behalf and, and begin to tell people how proud of you they were and, and just that feeling that you felt in the moment of being affirmed and being respected and being recognized. Could you imagine the heavens opening and God's voice coming from the heavens in front of people saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. What that experience must have been like for Jesus. Well, then we go right into verse one of chapter four and it says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Isn't that so like the devil? God just said, you are my son. And then the devil immediately, if you are the son of God, calling what God said into question, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to Jesus. Temptation will try your faith. I can't imagine what Jesus must have felt like having this baptismal experience and, and you know, as he's gearing up to, to start his earthly ministry, just having this moment of affirmation by the Father. One would think that that would have been the best launching point for Jesus to begin his ministry. Like there were witnesses. People saw what happened. People heard what happened. So if there was any doubt, these people that witnessed that would know that this was the Son of God and he was about to start this world-changing ministry. But it doesn't start directly after that. Actually, directly after that, Jesus begins a 40-day fast. 40 days. Come on. Some of us, we just fasted for five or seven days a couple of weeks ago. And I know how grumpy you were. And I know how grumpy I was. I know how irritable I was. I know how hungry I was. I know how weak I felt. It takes about four and a half hours without a meal for my brain to just start to slowly shut down and for me to lose patience with everybody in my life. It does not take long. I can miss one meal and feel like I fasted 40 days. I can't wrap my mind around fasting for 40 days, but Jesus fast for 40 days after he has this amazing experience with the father. Now, as if you didn't think that it would have been 
timely enough for him to start his ministry after that, you would think, okay, after God speaking about his son, then Jesus being humble enough, obedient enough to fast for 40 days, this is the time where Jesus should start his ministry. You would think that if if Jesus wasn't on a spiritual high after his baptism, he for sure is going to be on a spiritual high after he fasted for 40 days. But it's at the end of these 40 days that Jesus goes into a private season of temptation. I know that I've experienced seasons and times of my life where I have had like a mountaintop experience. That's something that you'll hear Christians say sometimes, a mountaintop experience with God. So what what does that mean? Maybe I was at a church service or I was at a conference or I had somebody give me a word or, or someone speak into my life, which was exactly what I needed at the time. And it encouraged me and it felt, I felt like now I have the supernatural strength to, to do what I'm supposed to do. And I had this amazing encounter viewing like, all right, so now things are just going to work out. And, and, So many times it is shortly, it's immediately after this amazing experience that then I'll get hit out of nowhere with some difficult temptation, with some difficult things in private. And you would think that you would go to expect it, but so many times it catches us off guard. So many times it's the season where we think, all right, God, you're about to launch me into this. Then all of a sudden temptation hits and then we begin to doubt and question everything. There have been times where I've doubted and I've questioned things because I've been going through such a difficult and private season that it's almost, I've, I've scared myself at times because I'm, if, if my faith was strong enough, I don't feel like I would be asking myself these things. If my faith was strong enough, I don't feel like I'd still be struggling with these things. If my, if my faith was strong enough, I, don't, I feel like I'd be past this temptation. I don't feel like I'd still be getting tempted with these, with these same things, but temptation will always test your faith. Temptation will always call into question God's word and God's plan for your life. There have been times where I began to feel like because I was going through such a trying season in private, that that was a good indication of where my faith actually was. But I want you to see here tonight that Jesus being in a desert, being physically weak from fasting for 40 days and being tempted repeatedly by the devil was not an indication that Jesus was not in a good season. As a matter of fact, Jesus was exactly where he was supposed to be. You see that Jesus, after all of these things, he was led into the desert and that's where the temptation happened. So it wasn't Jesus you know what? You should have prepared better. You know what? You should have made better decisions. No, no. It wasn't because Jesus wasn't doing what he should be doing that he was tempted. Now, this didn't have anything to do with the present for Jesus. This was all about the future for Jesus. What this was, was this was Satan's last ditch effort to try to derail Jesus' ministry before it ever even started. Now, I want to bring this down to a level for you and I. I want you to write this down. Temptation is a product of the past, but it's an attack on your future. Temptation is a product of the past, but it is an attack on your future. Now, I'm no rocket scientist, but you and I are a little different than Jesus. Jesus 
was born of the Virgin Mary. So Jesus did not have a sinful nature, but you and I, we are born with a sinful nature. We don't have to try to be bad. We don't have to try to mess things up. It just comes natural. You know, we, we say this all the time, but you don't have to teach a baby how to be bad. You got to teach a baby how to be good. It is human nature to be born sinful. That is why we all are in need of a savior. That is why Jesus came. So it's important to constantly remind ourselves that temptation that is appealing to that sinful nature is a product of the past. Now, I want you to hear me. Obviously, there are things that we watch, things that we listen to, things that we entertain that will feed into those things and make it worse for you, not better. But temptation as a whole is a product of the past. It's a product of having a sinful nature. If you didn't have a sinful nature, then it wouldn't be appealing to anything. It is appealing to that sinful nature. But temptation is an attack on your future. What the devil will try to be slick about and try to convince you of is that it's really just about the present. It's really just about the present. So when you're tempted with something, in your mind, you're weighing it out in the context of where you're at at the moment. You know what? It's one night. It's, it's one thing. You know what? It's one decision. I can get back on track. You know what? You start to feel like, I, I deserve this. I've had a rough week. You know, I, I've, I've had a rough month. Life hasn't been going good. You start to justify things in your head because you are thinking in the context of your present. Temptation is a result of the past. It is an attack on your future. It is so important to understand that when the devil is trying to bring things, he'll try to minimize it in the present to get you to buy into it. And then when you do, we all know what that feels like. When you begin to buy into what he's trying to sell you, the moment that you indulge your flesh, the moment that you make a decision to go through with the temptation, then he's right there to smack you with condemnation and shame and guilt. You call yourself a Christian? You, you say that you have a relationship with God. Would you still be doing this if you had a relationship with God? You think your faith is that strong? You think you've grown that much in God? Would you still be in this place dealing with this thing again if you had come that far with God? See, Satan is consumed with your present because he knows if he can get you to do what he wants you to do now that it directly affects your future and your destiny. As a child of God, you got to understand and you got to think with not just looking in the present, but you got to understand I'm dealing with this stuff because of my sinful nature. But I need to understand, even if it doesn't feel like a huge deal in the moment, this is another attack on my future. This is the devil's attempt yet again to throw shade and to get me to do something that I'm going to be reaping the consequences of for days and weeks and months and years to come. The devil is trying to derail your life before it even gets started. The devil is trying to snuff you out before you can ever make a difference, before you ever get to walk in the peace and the freedom and, and the, the assurance that Jesus won for you. This is an attack on your future. James 1 says this. He says, when you are tempted, don't ever say that God is tempting me, for God is incapable of being tempted by evil, and he is never the source of temptation. Instead, it is each person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness. Evil desires give birth to evil actions. And when sin is fully mature, it can murder you. 
can murder you. So James is saying it's because of these evil desires, this sinful nature that temptation comes knocking on your door. And let me just speed through life real quick and let you know that the agenda of Satan, the agenda of sin is to murder you, is to kill you. He may paint it different in the present, but the long-term goal is to take you out. I want to just look really quick at the devil's approach with temptation when it came to Jesus. There there are things that we can see in our own life. I guarantee you're going to start to see some things in your own life as we look at how the devil approached and attacked Jesus, the devil's devil's game plan. You see that the first thing that Satan tempts Jesus with is food. Now, what did we just say that Jesus was coming out of when he got tempted? A 40-day fast. So, so the first thing that Jesus is getting tempted with by the devil is something that would satisfy his immediate physical need. Satan is, is appealing to a very practical and physical need that Jesus would have been feeling at the moment, probably feeling weak, probably feeling drained, malnourished, hungry because of what he had just done out of obedience to God. And the first thing that Satan hits him with is appealing to his his physical need. The second thing, after that doesn't work, that that Satan goes for is he's, he's tempting Jesus with power. Power. Something that you and I would never crave. Power. And he basically says to Jesus, he takes him to a spot of the temple and he's showing him how long of a drop it would be where a lot of people would have been around. And he says, why don't you throw yourself off the ledge? And before you hit the ground, you call angels to come and they'll swoop you up and you won't get hurt. And as a result, what would happen if you were to see a human being falling from a building saying something, angels swoop him up and put him right back down on the ground. You'd be like, that is God. That has to be God. People would have seen him as the son of God. So he's, he's appealing to a desire for power with Jesus. When, when that doesn't work and Jesus doesn't fall for that, the third thing that Satan begins to tempt Jesus with is a position. He, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and he says, hey, you want to reign over all of these? You want to have the position of king over all of these? Just bow and worship me. Bow and worship me. The reason why this would have appealed to Jesus is because Jesus' destiny is king. The reason why being seen as the son of God would have appealed to Jesus is because Jesus is drawing all men to himself as the, the entryway into heaven, the entryway into relationship with God. Satan is not trying to tempt Jesus with things that Jesus wouldn't be tempted with. He's trying to hit things that God had placed there. I wonder if you could think of a time in your life where maybe you have been presented with something that you've always wanted, but you came to the realization that it's, this isn't how it was supposed to be, though. Maybe you grew up not having any financial security. Maybe your family was poor, you were broke, and you have just fought tooth and nail every day of your life to be like, finances are not going to be something that I struggle with. Finances won't be something that, that my family has to deal with. And so maybe you've been presented with an opportunity at one point that you could make some money and you were tempted to do it. You were weighing it out, but you realized that this is not the way that I want to make money though. 
Maybe you, you realize that there's something that's not ethical, something that, that's immoral about doing this. And as bad as I want that financial security, I don't want to do it that way. Maybe it's a position. Maybe you've been wanting a promotion. Maybe you've been wanting to climb that corporate ladder and you've been wanting to get recognized for what you're doing and you see a window. You've been presented with an opportunity to drag somebody else down so that you could leapfrog them and get into the position that you wanted to. And maybe you've been tempted with it. Maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you entertained that as an option, but then at some point you just realized, I don't want to get up by pulling somebody else down. If I'm going to get that position, if I'm going to get that promotion, I want to earn it, and I want that person to see something in me. I'm not trying to, to blackball somebody else. Maybe you have just desired a relationship for as long as you could remember. You just want that companionship, and you've been presented with the opportunity to start a relationship with somebody, but you know they're not the right one. But you've entertained it. Maybe you've walked in it for a time because your desire kind of overshadowed what you knew to be right. See, the devil is not going to waste his time tempting you with things that, that you wouldn't have a desire for. He's going to hit you in areas where you feel need, where you feel desire, where it speaks to your destiny. But Jesus had this amazing ability that even when Satan is attacking and tempting things that were there by God, that Jesus was able to see and to know this is not the way that I'm going to do it. Even though you may be skirting around things that are God-given, this is not of God and I'm not going to do it. Look at how Satan works. Look at how slick he thinks he is. You, you see right in the scripture, I mentioned it in the beginning. The first thing that Satan goes for is attacking what God said, trying to twist God's word. God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The very first thing that Satan starts the conversation with, if you are the son of God calling into question what God had already spoken. You see, Jesus begins to quote scripture to Satan when he's talking about turning stones into bread. And then what is Satan's response? Satan says, okay, I can quote scripture too. So Satan begins to quote scripture back to the son of God. This is the scary thing. A lot of times there's a lot of people that walk with God. Satan knows scripture way better than you do. This is the crazy thing. God created humanity to have a physical need to eat. Satan is tempting Jesus, appealing to a physical need that God had put there in humanity. Satan is, is tempting Jesus with people seeing him as the son of God when that was the desire and that's how, how God intended Jesus to come, that he would be able to draw all men to himself, that people would know the Father through Jesus. God sent Jesus down as our Savior, as our reigning King. And Satan is tempting Jesus with his God-given destiny. Let me tell you for a second, Satan will use and manipulate and twist what God has already given. So you say, well, what am I supposed to do with that? I mean, that's scary. I have a hard enough time hearing from God sometimes. How, how, am, I, how am I supposed to know when it's God or, or, or when it's him? I mean, if he can quote scripture and if he could say these things, what barometer do I have to try to weed out when it's God speaking or it's God giving it or when it's Satan giving it? Let me, let me just point something out to you. In all of these scenarios, it was centered around what Jesus would have wanted. 
Now I want to apply it to, to our lives. You can write this down. Temptation is centered around what you want. Submission to God is centered around what God wants. Temptation is centered around what you want, while submission to God is centered around what God wants. What Satan was trying to get Jesus to do was to sidestep God's plan. And he's making promises that he can't keep. He's making all of these promises to Jesus. If you would just do this, you wouldn't be hungry anymore. If you would just do this, people would would see you for who you really are. If you would just do this, I'll make you king over all of these nations and all of these cities. Satan is tempting Jesus, making promises that he can't keep. Anybody ever experienced temptation where Satan has promised, you'll feel better after you do this. You'll feel satisfied. You'll feel happy. You'll feel joy. You'll feel better about the situation. Only to come to find out that after you do it, you have a bigger hole than when you started. You're more desperate than when you started. You're more depressed than when you started. You're more anxious than you were before. Satan is trying to get Jesus to sidestep the plans of God. Now, Jesus can see that that Satan is appealing to what Jesus would want, but Jesus held God's word higher than his own needs and desires. And so for you and I, a good barometer when we're trying to realize, I mean, sometimes you just know that this is not God asking me to do this or tempting me with this. But if you ever, you know, start to get confused and, and you start to entertain some things that you shouldn't be entertaining and then you're trying to figure out which way is up and all you got to look at is, is this centered around what I want or is this centered around what God wants? And very quickly, you will be able to see what it's appealing to. You'll be able to, to kind of identify how, how Satan has begun to twist some things and, and manipulate some things to, to try to get you to a shortcut to God's blessings. There is no such thing as a shortcut to the blessings of God. The blessings of God are attached to doing things God's way. The godly purpose and destiny that is on your life is attained by walking in the will of God by not just making decisions on your own, by not just making decisions through the lens and the prism of what you desire, what you want, what you think your needs are, but you walking as best as you can with the idea and the perspective that God, I laid myself down and I'm a new creation and as best as I can, I wanna do things your way. I wanna hear you. I wanna be led by you. I want you to guide me as I walk through life. I mean, the whole reason why we have this sinful nature. We're talking about the past. You can trace this all the way back to the garden. And you can see how Satan did the same exact thing, had the same exact game plan with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say? And when that didn't begin to work, then he began to manipulate it, saying, well, God knows that if you were to do that, then you, you would never be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. And, and he's selling them a bill of goods that he can't deliver. And he's appealing to Adam and Eve to satisfy their own desire. And you see what that leads to. Temptation is always going to be centered around what you and I want. But submission to God is always centered around what he wants. 
thank God Jesus, he didn't just know the word, Jesus was the word. But if, imagine what would have happened if Jesus didn't know the word, he wouldn't have known that Satan was twisting it to begin with. Which I'm going to have the band come up, and I want to wrap this up by having you write down this last thing. That's temptation raises questions that have already been answered. But if you don't know the answer, you'll entertain the questions. God has given you and equipped you with everything that you need to resist every temptation that Satan could bring your way. David says in Psalms 119, he says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is profound. You know, David doesn't say, I listen to worship music all the time and I don't listen to secular music so that I don't sin against you. You know, I don't watch MTV so that I don't sin against you. I attend church as much as I can every Tuesday night so that I don't sin against you. You know, I go to every conference that's, that's ever offered so that I don't sin against you. Listen, all those things are good things. But David knew the, the key to understanding what was God's way and what was the devil's way was knowing God's word. And so David valued storing up God's word in his heart. So that doesn't mean that David was just like, uh, I'll give you 10 minutes every morning and read something so that I don't sin against you. I'll, I'll go through a devotional, a 365-day devotional, and I'll make sure I don't miss one so that I don't sin against you. There's a difference between reading something and valuing it enough to store it up in your heart. You know, so many times when temptation hits in a moment, you might not have a moment to go fact check Satan. And you're going to be really glad that you valued God's word enough to store it up in your heart that you could begin to recognize, no, that doesn't sound right. As convincing as you may be, as appealing as that may sound, as timely as that would be for me, I know that's not who God is. I know that that wouldn't glorify God, that'd glorify me. I know that that's not centered around what God wants, that's actually centered around what I want. And so I'm smart and aware enough to realize that's not God. Listen, you, you need to know that Satan has no interest in debating God. He would never, ever enter a debate with God. He knows he's wrong. He's experienced what happens when you're wrong, when you go against God. He knows he's wrong. He never wants to debate God. What he wants to do is deceive you about God. What he wants to do is to, to twist and manipulate. What he wants to do, oftentimes, you'll notice how he's very crafty and how he slips, he slides into the conversation. Did God really say, if you were the son of God? You know, he, he tries to do it in a way where he can slowly get you to, to bring some things into question. And the reason why he does that is because he doesn't have to sit down and debate you and convince you that he's right. If he could just get you to entertain enough questions, you begin to convince yourself. And here's the sad thing is that God has equipped us with his living and his active word. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that desires to interpret and to apply that word directly to our lives. God has given us everything that we could need. 
Don't be thrown off if temptation starts to try your faith. If it didn't work, then Satan wouldn't use it. Even Jesus was having things called into question that were just recently spoken over him. I think we're all smart enough to know what things we entertain that feed temptation. But if you're trying to live the right life, if you're trying to to walk with God, if you're trying to strengthen this relationship with you and you've been discouraged, you've been depressed because you've been tempted with things and, and, and you've viewed that as an indication of where you actually are, please know that that so much, has so much less to do with where you currently are and where Satan knows that you could be where Satan knows that God has ordained you to be. He's purposely trying your faith. James 1.5 says, if anyone longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom and he will give it. He won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you over your failures, but he will overwhelm your failures with his generous grace. Just make sure that you ask empowered by confident faith without doubting that you will receive. For the ambivalent person believes one minute and doubts the next. Being undecided makes you become like the rough seas driven and tossed by the wind. You're up one minute and you're tossed down the next. When you are half-hearted and wavering, it leaves you unstable. Can you really expect to receive anything from the Lord when you're in that condition? He goes on in verse 12 to say, if your faith remains strong. Even while surrounded by life's difficulties, you will continue to experience the untold blessings of God. True happiness comes as you pass the test with faith and receive the victorious crown of life promised to every lover of God. It's gonna test your faith, but if your faith could remain strong, even in the midst of life's difficulties, even in the midst of Satan's temptations, you can still experience God's blessing. True peace, true happiness, true growth is when you keep that faith strong and you make it through it and you recognize it for what it is and you say, you know what? I'm not falling for this again. Satan, I know this is you. And I'm not buying into it this time. I'm not falling for it this time. I know you want me to think it's not a big deal. I know you want me to think it's just one more time. I know you want me to think that that it's better to ask forgiveness than permission and I'll work it out tomorrow with God. No, 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 no. This is an attack on my destiny. This is an attack on my future. It is serious. And I'm not falling for it. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit just getting you to the point of, of realizing that This is satisfying your wants. And and as long as you and I are not spending time with God and we're not asking him to renew our perspective, I'm easily gonna fall back into temptation when my life is lived through the lens of satisfying my own needs, satisfying my own desires. Jesus, help me to live not, not for what I want, but for what you want. And God, you know what? Help me. Give me a desire and a passion to not just be in your word, but to store it up, to value it, to memorize it, to hold on to it, to repeat it, to reread it, to read it back to Satan. When he's trying to twist things, when he's trying to show off by knowing some of your word, let me show him I've stored it up in my heart. And this is actually what it says. This is actually who God is. This is actually what God has done. I'm not falling for it. I want to ask you to stand up tonight as we close out. We have a prayer team that's 
going to be standing along the back in about two seconds. And if you're here tonight and you could use some encouragement or prayer for anything that you're facing, it could have stuff to do with what we just talked about. It could be completely unrelated. Maybe it has to do with somebody who's not even here, but it's weighing on you. Our prayer team would love to encourage you. If you're here and you've never made a decision to walk with Jesus, this is all new to you. This whole idea of having a personal relationship with God is so foreign. They want to walk you through it. They want to tell you how you can begin to walk into this relationship with him, how easy it is, how life-changing it is. So if you're here and you could use that, as soon as we start to sing this song, I want to invite you just to make your way back. And they'd love to pray with you. For the rest of us here tonight, if you're here and you're just like, man, I want to get to the point where I I have a perspective where I can recognize when Satan's throwing shade. I, I, I can just see it. Satan, I know what you're doing. I know what you're up to, and I'm not falling for it. Maybe any one of these points, you felt the Holy Spirit just bring some conviction to you tonight to just say, this is what we need to work on. This is where we need to get better. I want to invite you just to raise your hands. I want to pray with you tonight. Not just over you. I want to pray with you tonight and believe that we're going to experience the Holy Spirit renew our perspective. Jesus, we thank you so much again for everything that you've done for us. God, I thank you that the only reason why we can stand up here and talk about having eternal life and salvation is because of your sacrifice, because of your death on the cross. So Jesus, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to interpret that word, to guide us and direct us through life. God, we say tonight, we need you to renew our perspective. God, I need you that when temptation comes for me to realize that this isn't really an attack on my future, that this is an attack on my destiny. God, I'm sorry for the times where I've given into it because it has appealed to what I want. I don't want to live like that anymore. God, help me to value what you desire and you want over my own needs and my own desires. God, just give me a passion for your word. God, help me to value your word. Help me to store it up inside of my heart that that I'm always quick to have an answer. I'm always quick to have your word when Satan tries to attack me or my friends or my family. Help me to store up your word in my heart. Jesus, we thank you that you have equipped us and given us everything that we need to resist and fight temptation. We love you. We worship you tonight in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.